not like a Beach Boys song. Your brothers are going to hate it. It's a love song. It's a suicide note. Tell him I've made new plans. New plans? What plans? I'm going to be an Olympic ski jumper. You are listening to I Saw It in a Movie, an advice podcast co-hosted by your friendly cinematic pals at Movie John. I am the old sport and classic coroner, Rosalie Kicks, and this is my film pal, The Red Herring. Ryan Silverstein. In each episode, we take a question from our listeners and go to the movies for the answer. So, hey, Ryan, what have you been watching lately? Sure, Rosalie. I actually um, watched a film that I had missed from a filmmaker I like very much. So I finally um, got around to watching Ang Lee's Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. Okay. Um, which is, I feel like it's kind of his breakout hit um, in terms of the rest of the world. So it's in, uh, like it takes place in Taiwan. It's in um, Chinese and this is the film he made right before he made he jumped to <clears throat> english language movies with sense and sensibility so um this movie is absolutely fantastic it's about a father who is a uh, master chef and he is like on the edge of retirement but everyone sort of expects him that he's going to like start another project or something um and he's a single dad having raised his uh, three daughters and they are all like they're good kids they mostly get along with their dad um and then but all of them are like missing a, a piece of their lives to allow them to sort of like leave the nest and like really start their own lives and not have to worry about their dad and everything um and he makes extremely elaborate meals for them at home um in terms of like you know he will butcher fish He's got like a million pots going with different sauces and like meats and smoking things. And like, it's a great food movie, which I always love food movies. But, you know, and obviously it's kind of a cliche that people show love through making food for other people. But um, what I like is that the characters are very self-aware that they don't talk about their feelings with each other. Okay. Um, and that becomes part of what drives some of the story. So it's not a very plot heavy movie. Um, each of the three daughters experiences some level of romance, but it's kind of a, just a light heartwarming kind of story overall. Like it's not, you know, there's sad things, but it's not like dark. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. It sounds like it's a really nice story though. It is. And it's like, it, it's one of those movies that it's just over two hours and like it, it just ends in the perfect way. Oh, cool. So, so. yeah. And sometimes I, I know we were actually just talking about like longer movies and it sounds like though this one flies by. It did. I was completely, uh, I was completely sucked into the story within the first like 15 minutes. I was like, all right, I'm all in on this movie. And especially with foreign films where like the way that you watch them is a little bit different because obviously you're reading subtitles as well as like watching the actors perform but this was you know when when they're really good that stuff sort of melts away and you just get into the rhythm of it and like that happened really quickly with this one 
And how did you find it? Did you buy it or was it streaming somewhere? Uh, this was streaming on, uh, Amazon prime, which is how I watched it. But, okay. uh, I prioritized it because it was going away as of June 30th, but I will be tracking down. Uh, I think I'm actually going to have to import a Blu-ray cause I think the oh, Blu-ray wow. is currently out of print in the U S. Yeah. I, I do find there's quite a number of movies that, you know, I have searched for and I find it frustrating when there is a Blu-ray, but it is like you have to import it. The other thing you have to watch out for, too, is to make sure that it plays, like, in your player. Because, obviously, with the different region codes, that's something Ben and I have discussed upgrading to a region-free player. Yeah, I I may have to do that as well at some point in the future. Um, I believe I saw that this one was supposedly region-free. But I know that, you know, Criterion has released... Um, a couple at least a couple of his other movies i know they have the one western he did and the ice storm so there's always a chance that criterion announces it sometime yeah i have i've seen a few of ang lee's movies but i definitely have a lot more to watch yet so i'll have to add this one to my watch list yeah, and I, I really w- enjoyed the his uh, Sense and Sensibility, uh, the one that Emma Thompson wrote the screenplay for. Um, we did it on Shame Files last fall, and I was really glad that I picked up the Blu-ray from our duly departed Twilight Time. Well, it's funny you mentioned Twilight Time because actually one of their movies is my pick. So did you want me to jump into my pick? Absolutely. Okay, so... This week, I picked the 1957 film, The River's Edge, which stars Ray Milland, Anthony Quinn, and Deborah Paget. And as you were just mentioning, it is a Twilight Time movie. And that distributor, for those that don't know out there, it recently, or they recently announced that they would be closing. And so my husband... Ben and I kind of went a bit frantic and bought tons of movies, which, I mean, isn't a terrible thing, especially being in quarantine. Uh, mm-hmm. We, You know, and they actually came in a couple weeks ago. So it's definitely been keeping us busy. But one of the reasons that we kind of went a little manic with our buying was I noticed a lot of the films that they released were te- 20th Century Fox films. So, you know, we've talked about this on other episodes, but I just feel it's a matter of time before the mouse decides to set fire to that catalog and the films just disappear, which I feel like this is an example of one where it's not like, I wouldn't say that this is like a classic film or anything, but it's definitely worth watching. And it basically tells the story of, Uh, these, well, this man and this wife who they live in like a, I would say, rustic ranch, like out in the middle of nowhere. And clearly, like the wife, um, her name is Margaret, is not happy with this situation. So when the film opens, her and her husband, Ben, are basically in a dispute over her not wanting to live there anymore And deciding, like, hey, if this is what you want to do with your life, like, run this ranch, that's fine, but I'm done with it. 
Uh, so she's about to pick up and leave. And then they get a knock on the door and Ray Milland is there. And I don't know, like, are you familiar with Ray Milland? Have you seen some of his films before? If I have, I'm not sure that he's jumped out at me quite as such. Okay. Well, he tends to play kind of like a shifty character, I find. Like, I don't know. Have you seen Dial M for Murder? I have. I actually, I'm just looking up. I have seen that. And he. I guess he's also in Sullivan's Travels. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so which, like, Which I have seen. Yeah. So like, I feel like Dial M for Murder is like a good example of like, who he typically plays in a movie. But in this movie, there is just a lot of like double crossing twists and turns and you eventually, and this is a bit of a spoil spoiler, but you find out that Ben's wife, Margaret actually knows Ray Milland um, from her past. They apparently were like thieves together they both had ended up in jail at some point. So him stopping by at their house wasn't a random event, which mm. at first it's kind of played off as that. It was actually all orchestrated and planned out. They wanted Ben to help them get across the border. They have like he has like stolen a ton of money and now he wants to get across the border to Mexico. So they, the three of them kind of end up going on this, I would say, like wild adventure um, through the mountains and desert. And obviously just a lot of things ensue, such as they have run-ins with a snake. Oh, sorry. My mic just fell. <laughs> they have. Sorry. I'm going to start over. So yep. obviously a lot of like chaos ensues and there the adventure is pretty wild. There's murder and snakes and they even at one point like because they get caught in a rainstorm and they have like nothing to make a fire with, they end up like burning some of his money. So Wow. <laughs> yeah, so like Ben and I like and if you know Milan, like his in, his entire like while this money is being burned, his face, like, it looks like he wants to just, like, kill someone <laughs> because he is, like, obsessed with this money. And it's in, like, this steel, like, briefcase, which you can tell, like, going through, like, a mountainous area, like, I would not want to be carrying this, like, heavy briefcase around. Mm -hmm. uh, so I really enjoyed it. But I also ended up, like, after we watched it, I kind of had this, like, far-out theory about this movie. And I didn't know if you wanted me to share it with you. I mean, I, I would love to hear it. Okay. So it's really, really far out. But I kind of feel, like, after we watched this movie, that it is a prequel to another Ray Milan movie that he was in from 1972, which I don't think I discussed this movie on this show yet, but it's called Frogs. And I will preface this with, I feel like people who are fans of Matilda, and yes, Ryan, I will be bringing up Matilda till we die. But I feel like Frogs, anyone who likes Matilda would love Frogs. For one, it has, um, well, it has Ray Milland in it, but it, then it also stars a very young Sam Elliott. Hmm. 
Yeah, you sound interested. I mean, I, I just looked at the poster for frogs, and I will say <laughs> that the poster for frogs is more interesting than anything to do with Matilda. Okay, so I'm like selling this to you now. So because it has the, the poster, because this is an audio medium, I will just describe it as yes, a frog with a human it. hand coming out of its mouth. Yeah. So the movie centers around this family. They're getting together, and it's like swampy, like Florida. Okay, like you're watching this movie and you're just sweating, like watching it because like and the thing that's so confusing though is like the people are all wearing like these like full outfits like so ray milan's in it and they're all getting together at his like huge mansion to celebrate his birthday but the reason that i think that this movie river's edge is a prequel to frogs is because there is a scene in River's Edge where Ray Milland ends up like falling off this cliff and tumbling down and he falls and he's like laying out and all the money's spread all over the place. But in Frogs, he's wheelchair bound. So I hmm. think he ended up getting all his money out of the river and then building this ranch in Florida and poisoning reptiles because he was like evil and angry. And then the frogs and the reptiles all attacked. Does that make sense? I think that totally makes sense. <laughs> and I think for a movie called Frogs, like I could imagine the writer of that movie being of a similar mind and having seen the earlier Milan picture was like oh i have an idea it's this is a fan fiction sequel also like both the characters are basically like the same demeanor behavior like wild-eyed and they're willing to like oh so like in frogs milan is basically like as these like insects and reptiles start killing people at his birthday party he's like no the show must go on i must have my birthday which is similar to his attitude in River's Edge, where, like, despite horrible things happening, he's, like, refuses to, like, give up his briefcase. Like, even though, like, have you ever watched movies like that where, like, people are traveling through, like, obviously, you know, it's, like, rough terrain and just, like, crazy things keep happening, but they're like, no, I'm going to continue carrying this bag. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, like that's Milan in the river's edge. And, you know, it's always an externalized form of some kind of obsession. I mean, money is always, money's a little on the nose, even in terms of like, you know, but there's, but obviously like baggage being physical as well as emotional is uh, right. know, one of my favorite cinematic tropes. So that's my crazy theory. As for finding river's edge, I unfortunately did not look if it's like online somewhere obviously because it's a twilight time i know that there's still some twilight time dvds left on their website i haven't checked though if it's still there but if it is you should check it out it was like 11 dollars. it wasn't that much and it was blu-ray yeah and, and it may pop up streaming eventually i mean you know t- and it's probably it, there's also a good chance it's available on 
DVD elsewhere, but the Blu-ray was only Twilight. Because it seemed like Twilight's okay. whole gig was to make a limited edition in Blu-ray and like do the transfer and everything. And then a lot of times, if it would sell the original studio, which I know in this case is Fox, but you know in other cases, the original studio would come back and be like, oh, it sold really like it sold out the 3,000 copies that Twilight made. That means it mm-hmm. should get you know a release. But I'm hoping... I'm not optimistic, but I'm hoping that a lot of these movies at least end up streaming somewhere, even if Disney doesn't go like the Warner Archive route. Which I don't, I just actually got a couple of Warner Archives recently because they have quite a number of films where it's like exclusively them and they mm-hmm. only carry it and they put out the worst releases. It's basically like somebody made it in their garage. I don't know yeah, if I'm not you getting, have any of theirs. I don't think I, I, I might have one or two. I, I am, to be honest, uh, very curious about their upcoming Blu-ray of the John Travolta film, Michael, where he plays an angel. Well, I did get a Blu-ray from Warner Archive, actually Frankenstein 1970, uh, when I watched it for Cinematic Crypt. And it had like no features on it. Nothing. Like, the print looked fine, you know, but it's mm-hmm. just, I don't know, for the amount of money they charge, you want that extra stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, even if it's an old interview that they have. Right, or, or a trailer. A trailer, you know, anything, honestly, I'll, I'll take it. But, yeah, I mean, physical media is in dire straits, so... Yeah, and now, like I said, the mouse is going to probably lock all of the 20th Century Fox up in its vault and slowly release it or just, like, make it disappear. Yeah, I mean, my money is still that it'll end up streaming somewhere because they are, I mean, they're probably the studio that has best monetized at least a decent percentage of their own catalog. In terms mm-hmm. of like the number of times that they would release, you know, Alice in Wonderland on VHS was probably like eight or nine times True. in the course of 20 years. So yeah, I'm hoping that, that at some point. point. Hmm? That's a good point. They make yeah, people I'm, buy their things repeatedly. Right. So I'm I'm being optimistic that their love of money will ah. overtake it. But I think it's going to be a couple of years before they even sort out what they have. Yeah, that's true. They're basically like Milan with the briefcase. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so, so Rosalie, I was going to ask you what our question this week was. Yes. So we got a question. Dear, I saw it in a movie. Sometimes it is hard to get out of bed in the morning. I truly feel like I am living that blob life as of late. What movie do you both turn to when you need inspiration? To simply remember not to give up. Thanks. Don't let me throw in the towel. So I can kick things off today. because oh, Absolutely. Okay. Because I had a movie that came to mind right away when I read this question. So, of course, I totally relate to this listener, as I'm sure many of us do, including mm-hmm. yourself. Definitely. And, yeah. I think just with everything that's been going on as of late... I have found my emotions have been much, you know, like a roller coaster 
on one particular day, I find myself extremely productive. And then other days, I just am like, nope, not getting out of my pajamas. I'm just going to watch movies all day. And the only time I'm going to move is to go to the refrigerator. No, I, I can absolutely relate. And there are times where, like, it was, you know, we're recording this on a Monday and my alarm went off this morning and I was like, no, I don't want to get out of bed. I just do not want to Monday. I, yeah. I need another day to, uh, to, to steal myself against the week. And I feel that way almost every day. So, yeah, I, I do say, I will say though, like having, you know, and this may be a bit personal, but for the listeners to know, having this recording on a Monday has really helped me kind of get through the workday a little bit better because I too find when Monday comes around, I am just like, no. <laughs> and I'm already like, this week actually though is great because it's July 4th week. So we have a short mm-hmm. week. So I keep reminding myself only have to make it to Thursday. But I do find myself on Monday just saying, oh, is it Friday yet? And yeah. So I feel though, whenever I'm feeling like a trip, you know, where I'm going to bummer town, so to speak, mm-hmm. I find what is best to get me out of that is a sports montage because it always has some sort of like peppy music. And mm-hmm. I don't know, as cheesy as it is, I find it motivating. So Again, because everything on this show now relates back to Matilda, I, of course, thought of, you know, Matilda, but I've already discussed that movie, so I'm not going to torture you more. But I just want you to know there's a really great sports montage in Matilda. I'll take your word for it. Okay. And someday you'll watch it. Because actually, on YouTube, you can watch just the montage, just so you know. So if you want to just get like a little flavor... Maybe. Maybe I'll let my appetite for Matilda. Okay. But my pick pick for the listener is actually another film that I feel flew under a lot of people's radar. And it's the 2015 film Eddie the Eagle. Have you seen it? I have not seen this, but it's been on my list to watch literally since I missed it in the theater. Yeah. Like, I feel like it just came out at a bad time because I feel like it was one of those like January February releases Mm -hmm. which usually I feel like just sends a message to people like not worth it you know like if it's January Mm -hmm. or February like people are just like "Eh, it's probably not that good and so I think just a lot of people skipped it but I do feel I kind of saw a resurgence or I guess I should say just people talking about it once they um, saw it on airplanes, like flights. Mm-hmm. Because a couple times on Twitter, like I would see that people would tweet out, like, oh, just watched Eddie the Eagle on my way to LA. It's so great. I don't know why I didn't see this before. So <laughs> I always find it funny, like how movies kind of will get a rebirth in like very unique ways. But This movie stars Taron Edrington, which I hope I said his name right, and Hugh Uh, Jackman. I think it's it's Egerton. Egerton. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So he stars as Eddie Edwards, and Eddie was determined to make the Olympic team, and he was willing to basically do anything possible 
So when he was unable to make Britain's downhill skiing team, he decided to take up ski jumping, which at the time, basically Britain was not even competing in um, ski jumping. Like there was nobody that was interested in the sport. A lot of people didn't, I mean, I guess for Britain, they just didn't take it seriously. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, Britain not known for its mountains. So, well, yeah. And I think that honestly was, I mean, it definitely showed that in the ish or in the movie that that was an issue because being how the Olympics, I guess, used to be set up like people couldn't get sponsors and things Mm -hmm. so then a lot of the money was coming from the country itself to support the people which then meant because they don't have mountains the person would have to like go practice elsewhere which then means you're going to have to spend a lot of money on travel and lodging and all of that so there wasn't many people competing in this sport Uh, And why I just feel like this flick could help the listener is because Eddie is a total underdog, like a complete nerd, but he never gives up. And like, no matter what people say about him or if they make fun of him or pick on him, he just like kind of shakes it off, which I think is really impressive. And he's just really determined like I want to go to the Olympics this is my goal I don't really care how I get there I just you know I want to go so I really like that about it uh and then I don't know his like attitude I find it very charming which I'm not one that usually goes for like these feel good like sappy flicks but I will say like when I'm down I I do enjoy watching that yeah, and it's funny because I didn't. Sports movies didn't come to mind when I heard this question, but it, it does make absolutely complete sense. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, again, I, I think, you know, I, I think when we feel down, like we do feel like an underdog in our own lives, and so I think that makes us identify with with them even more. And seeing that kind of perseverance on screen, I think, just reinforces you know, that, that feeling, being able to identify with somebody who is also trying hard at something. And, you know, I think it's, it's easy to say that his dream is absurd or his dream is unrelatable, but I think, um, I think that doesn't matter when you're watching a movie because it's about believing that this person wants their dream. You know what I mean? Their dream doesn't have to be your dream, but it just has to be something that they want. And then, and you have to believe that they want it. Yeah. And this is a bit of a spoiler, but The other thing that I really like about the film is that I feel it's realistic because, okay, he does get to go to the Olympics, but he doesn't win a medal. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not like this cliche where it's like, oh, he goes to the Olympics and he wins a gold medal. No, I mean, he just he gets to go to the Olympics. But in the end, like, sure, he would have loved to have won a medal, but that's not going to happen. Like, he's, you know competing against ski jumpers that have been doing it since they were like three years old whereas like he is probably in his early 20s and is doing it for the first time so obviously go ahead oh i was gonna say and i think that's also you know some 
a strategy for helping yourself get out of a funk is to like find an attainable goal. So like even his goal feels pretty lofty to me, which is get to the Olympics. But his goal is not to like win the gold medal or even to get a medal at the Olympics. His goal is to get to the Olympics. And like to me, like that's a huge accomplishment in and of itself. Like if he were, you know, my cousin or like, you know, if he were someone, someone in my family or my circle of friends, like I would be like, Oh my God, it's so crazy that you were at the Olympics. Like that's incredible. Right. And that's where Hugh Jackman comes into the story. So another reason I love this movie. Well, I love Hugh, but he's so great in this and he plays Eddie's like coach of sorts i would say because he kind of gets roped into it after like witnessing eddie almost die ski jumping because as eddie's trying to learn how to actually jump uh uh hugh works at i guess i don't know what to call it like a jumping (laughs) place Mm -hmm. Uh, But he works there and basically his job is to like smooth out the snow and make sure like, you know, the ramps are all clear and things of that sort. And when Eddie comes to town and starts jumping, he's like ruining the ramps because he's not doing it appropriately. So Hugh, we find out like used to be an Olympic ski jumper and something happened in his past So you kind of go through his backstory a little bit. But what's interesting about this character, to your point, he, like, wants Eddie to keep training. Like, he thinks Eddie has potential, so he wants him to, like, wait it out to go to the Olympics. He's like, why don't we keep training and you'll go next time? And Eddie's like, no, like, I need to go now because if I don't go now, like, they're going to change the rules and I won't be able to go back. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, basically is, like, that's him winning, is just going. He doesn't care about being number one. And I could, and, like, I think that's something interesting about the movie is that, like, for Hugh, he's like, okay, well, if you're not going to win, what's the point in going? Right. Uh, But I totally understand. Like, no, I want to go to, like, the big show. You know what I mean? Like, like, Mm -hmm. if I was working in film, I, I would be like, oh. I want to I want to get nominated for an Oscar or I want to be able to attend like officially be invited to the, to attend the Oscars. Like right. I wouldn't necessarily have dreams of winning an Oscar necessarily, but you know, if I was like working in like sound design, I'd be like, "Oh, like I at least want to want to work on a movie where my team gets nominated." And like that that would feel like enough, you know, until I was nominated like four times and I'd be like, "All right, I, <laughs> now I just need to win one." Right. But yeah, I I I feel very similar about you know, like the short film that my friend Katie and I just made, I want people to Pizza see Man. Pizza Man. So I want people to see it, you know, and I want it to get into a film festival, but I don't really care if it wins anything. I mean, that would be great, but the cool part would be just, oh my gosh, people get to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other cool thing about Hugh Jackman's character is he drinks a lot of whiskey And so he, like, makes this point where, like, he doesn't need to wear a jacket in the cold because he just drinks whiskey. And the whiskey is his coat. And I think that's really great. Uh, So that's just a side note. Uh, But the other two things I like about this movie is that there is a really good sports montage. And I just feel like 
Eddie lives the McFly, George McFly mantra, where he's just like, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish it, which kind of made me think, too, about like this person struggling with feeling like they're a blob, because I definitely can relate to that. Like I said earlier, where there's days I just want to don't want to do anything, but to kind of help me get back on track, I find it is so good to make a task list. And I think we've talked about this before, like you make lists as well of like mm-hmm. things you want to accomplish. Yeah. And, and I think what I've started doing recently um, is making lists that are divided by like thing I'm, I'm working on, you know what I mean? Like project, whether it's like my actual job and then like projects related to that or film stuff I'm working on. And then what I've been doing in quarantine is organizing those by week because sometimes okay. I've been having good days and bad days. And so there are times in a five day week where I can blow through like more than half of my list in one day, but the next day I'll barely be able to do one thing. So rather than trying to like break it down into like, Oh, I need to do this today. And then this tomorrow. And this it's like, all right, I have the whole week to accomplish this. So I I don't get myself worked up if I'm having like a rough Monday Mm -hmm. or like a really sleepy Wednesday or something like, you know, I always have that extra space to bounce back and, um, I, that that's been helping me a lot because it, it allows me to be it allows me to give myself the flexibility I need to be able to kind of ride those waves of you know anxiety and depression and everything that that's been going on the past few weeks. Yeah, I also try to remember to just put some like easy things on there to do mm. because. I think a lot of us feel that sense of accomplishment, like just crossing something off. So I will put, you know, just some little tasks on there. And then the other thing is similar to what you were saying. I do like to make, you know, some loose like goal dates of things because it helps me prioritize like, okay, this needs to get done now. And Mm -hmm. this can wait a little bit. So like there's sometimes when I make a new task list, a new task list every week, some things will be repeats and it'll be from last week. Oh, I didn't get to it. But I try not to make a big deal out of it because it's okay. Like you can't do everything. But to your point, it's like just some days you don't want to do anything. So I don't know. I just find when I write it down on a list, it helps it get like out of my head and then I don't have to think about it. It's like in the notebook now. Yep. No, I I completely, I think that's spot on. Yeah. So I hope you check out Eddie the Eagle because I think you would like it. It's just a fun little watch. Uh, Yeah, no, I definitely need to to prioritize it. And I, I need more Hugh Jackman in good movies where he's not Wolverine because that's a short list yeah well I'm trying to think of what other movies like I really like him in obviously you know you mentioned Logan Mm -hmm. uh, but I also love Kate and Leopold I was gonna say like I think Kate and Leopold right now is my favorite non-Wolverine Hugh Jackman performance Mm mm-hmm uh, and that's the first one he did with uh, James Mangold, who 
I think we're both pretty big fans of. Yeah, I tried revisiting Van Helsing, but like the effects are so bad in that. I think I saw that in the theater, and I don't think I've watched it since. Yeah, like you'd think it'd be right up my alley because it's all about the monsters and everything. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, he's fine in it. And that's the thing. I find he tends to be in things where it's like he's good, but the movie's just not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, that's why I said it's not that it's bad Hugh Jackman performances. I just want Hugh Jackman performances in better movies. Yeah. Agreed. So what did you pick? So I went a little bit literal um, with this pick because the the question asker was talking about getting out of bed in the morning. And I immediately thought of someone who has famously or struggled with getting out of bed uh, in the morning and at any point in time. Um, Love and Mercy, the uh, Brian Wilson music biopic. From a couple years ago, yeah, I this is one that unfortunately I missed, and I've been meaning to watch it for so long. Um, so, for those who may not know, Brian Wilson at some point in the seventies, <clears> eighties, <throat> like he, you know, he sort of somewhat infamously spent like three years not getting out of bed, um, and he struggled with his weight and his mental health and everything. So this movie sort of takes place on either side of that period. Um, it Part of it takes place in the 1960s where he's played by Paul Dano and they're working on good vibrations and pet sounds. And um, he gets more and more sort of detached from the Beach Boys as a band. He struggles with his relationship with his father. And so, you know, he slips more and more into... Uh, not being able to cope with his mental illness and his trauma and everything. And then in the 1980s, um, we, uh, John Cusack plays Brian Wilson and he goes to buy a Cadillac and he meets the saleswoman and they start dating and she discovers that he's being controlled by his um, psychiatrist, who's also a his legal, become his legal guardian and is like controlling every aspect of his life because he's diagnosed Brian Wilson with uh, schizophrenia, which later, like, you know, and she eventually sort of helps him escape from his psychiatrist uh, okay. and get a more appropriate course of action. So it's. Um, you know, it's a movie that is as much about mental health as it is about the music. Um, and it jumps back and forth between the two time periods. And, you know, I've been a lifelong fan of the Beach Boys, basically. Um, but especially once I got into college, like I really got into that like late period of, you know, that late 60s Brian Wilson era um, with the more like orchestral sort of sounds. And um, so... You know, this movie is also about not giving up and very much not about not giving up on yourself, but also recognizing that sometimes you do need outside help and you need someone who has like who cares for you and really does have your best interest in mind and is not using you to like the way that um, his doctor, who's played by Paul Giamatti in a really good performance, um, you know, he controls him by saying like, oh, other people like they just want 
you know, they want your money. They want to be around you because you're famous. Um, but he's also constantly like berating him about like, you know, being dumb or being rude or whatever. And, you know, it's, he's completely under his control because he's a person who um, has felt so out of control for so much of their life that like that it becomes this weird kind of safety net, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, But I find, I mean, one, the music is, is really great and it's not the kind of, you know, it's not the kind of music biopic where it's, you know, it's not the walk hard sort of version where it's like, Oh, he needs to think about his whole life before he plays this next song or does this concert or whatever. Um, You know, it really kind of narrows more or less narrows in on these two periods, um, you know, of Wilson's life and does it in a way that is really trying to show how you deal with mental health or how, you know, you can be flailing mental health wise and the people closest to you don't see it or don't know how to help you. Um, so it really, you know, like the music is all there and there are scenes where he's, you know, conducting like parts of good vibrations in the studio. And so you get to see him sort of at his best and also at some of his slowest points. Yeah. And I think something that you mentioned there that I just wanted to go back to is that I think it's important that when you aren't feeling well, to find someone that you are able to talk to, whether it's a friend or, I mean, in this situation, you know, the therapist wasn't working in his favor. But I think just even talking to close friends and letting them know, like, hey, can we talk for a bit? Because you're going to find, like, I know even between us, just there's some days you're not feeling great. And when you reach out to a friend, sometimes they might be going through the same thing. And it's nice to be able to relate to somebody. Yeah. And it's funny. So when he uh, goes to that Cadillac dealership and he meets um, Melinda played by Elizabeth Banks, she doesn't even know who he is. And so like they're, like even in their first meeting, like she's flirting with him a little bit, like kind of in that salesperson-y way, but you can tell that there is this real attraction and in real life, mm-hmm. like you know, they are married. Um, But I think even having that little bit of her not recognizing him right away, like once she finds out like his name and everything and she's like, wait, that Brian Wilson, <laughs> like, um, you know, I think, but I think that that sort of authenticity kind of breaks through and her genuine, you know, sort of attraction and affection for him. And then over the course of, as they kind of start dating in this very weird and controlled way by the therapist where he like asks her to like report back whatever Brian does and like oh write God. down, like take notes and stuff. Like, and she's like, no, I'm not doing that. That's insane. Um, but right. like, you know, over the course of the movie, we like, she sort of proves out that she really does care about him as their relationship sort of continues to the point where the therapist then tries to shut her out. And the, um, the housekeeper, uh, whose name is Gloria, she actually like kind of also helps and like works with, uh, Elizabeth Banks's character to sort of like free him from that. And, Mm -hmm. uh, the housekeeper has gone on to become like basically like a part of their family. And she's like thanked in, like the liner notes and things from his more recent music. Um, so it really does show how you do need that network of, of people who really do care about you um, to get in such a, 
to get in a, in the place that you need to be, you know, and to be healthy and safe and, you know, be your best self. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And I really do love how we both picked very different movies to yes. answer this question. I think that's really neat. Yeah, I, I really do. It's funny, like, I will be the first to complain about music biopics, but there's a couple of them, uh, like this one and um, uh, Walk the Line and Rocket Man, which was directed by Dexter Fletcher, who also directed Eddie the Eagle. Um, like, there's a couple of them that really speak to me, and I think they're the ones where it really puts the psychology of the subject, like, in the forefront and let the music kind of fill out around them. Yeah, I agree. I I will say I'm always a sucker for the music biopic, but I always do find myself taking a lot of it with a grain of salt. I mm-hmm. I feel like they're always not that accurate. However, well, I do find myself getting sucked into that world that they build, and I enjoy it. Yeah, and this one, like, it's interesting because I, uh, I rewatched it uh, a week or two ago for this question. And even though it sounds like it's sort of a, a heavy and dark movie, like there is a lot of joy in it as well. So I do want to make right. sure I make that clear that if you haven't seen it, it's not a, you know, it's not like a psychological thriller. You know what I mean? It, it sure. is, it, it is very much in that music biopic range, but it does get into some of the, these sort of darker situations. And uh, apparently when they showed it, they first showed it actually to Brian Wilson's wife um, to like, you know, sort of vet out. Like they were like, she's, she's, she has his best interest, you know, at heart. And like, she was there for a lot of this in the eighties stuff, obviously. Um, so she kind of signed off on it before he even saw it. And then, Apparently, when he watched it, he wasn't even able to get through the whole movie because he had such severe flashbacks to, to some of these like more traumatic parts of his life. Yeah, I'm I'm sure it would be extremely difficult to watch a movie based on your life. Yeah, um, even under normal like even under normal circumstances. Yes. But he did he did praise both Paul Dano and John Cusack and said that he was skeptical about having two different actors play him. But he okay. said it actually worked out really well. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, I, I, this is another one I have been meaning to catch up with. And yeah, you know how it goes. Things just get to the bottom of the pile because there's just so many movies to watch. Totally. And, th- and this was one that, you know, I think I saw it in the theater by myself. because I was like, oh, there's a Brian Wilson movie. Like, I should just go see it. <laughs> right. And I think, you know, I took like a half day from work and went and saw it at one of the independent theaters in the Philly area. I forget which one. Um, and I just, I just really enjoyed it. And again, revisiting for this, I thought it was really appropriate to the question because, you know, not in that sort of comparative way, but just in the sort of like, Ryan Wilson is probably one of the, mo- one of the like most creative people that's lived, you know, in the last 50 years or so, um, you know, in terms of like an art creative and seeing him struggle, like it just, I feel some of those same struggles, even on a slightly different level and, you know, just not being able to focus or not having, not being able to bring your vision to life or not being able to cope with the changes happening around you. I think, I think this movie makes his, um, his mental state relatable because I think prior to this, 
you know, the understanding of his condition was much more sensationalized, I think. Um, you know, when you think of someone who's been diagnosed with schizophrenia. So I think kind of making his mental state and his psychology more relatable, I think even makes him just that much more human. Yeah, that's a really good point as well, that just realizing that a lot of people struggle. And even though on the surface, yeah, someone's extremely successful, you know, and they're known for being this great, creative, brilliant person, they struggle too, just like everybody else. And I I think that's always good to realize, as simple as it sounds. Uh, and also just remember, too, it's okay to have a day where you don't do anything. Mm -hmm. I am still learning that as well, but I think what I'm getting better at is realizing, you know, if I'm just not feeling up for it today, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> like, it's okay to just curl up on the sofa and read a book or, you know, watch movies all day. It's okay. And it shouldn't feel, especially some of the things that I do that are more of an outlet of escape, like recording podcasts or writing film reviews, things like that. I should be enjoying those things and they shouldn't feel forced. So I always have to remind myself that it's okay to take a break. Absolutely. And, and you need to recharge. And, you know, I think for me too, it's, then when I come back to those things later, you know, having taken my break, um, then I actually like the way that those things turn out even better than if I had just sort of like forced myself to get through it. Definitely. Great. Well, I really, I think we did pick some interesting movies for this person and I really hope that they help them uh, and that it answers their question. Mm -hmm. Okay. So before we sign off, don't forget that you can find a breakdown of the episodes on moviejohn.com, where you can also subscribe to our quarterly print movie zine. And our next issue, we want you to meet us at the carnival. Movie John is heading to the circus, carnival, amusement park, and fun fairs via the cinema. So if you can't make it out to a carnival this year, travel to one with the movies. Uh, also, don't forget, you can follow us on social media. We are at Twitter, um, which is at, so sorry, I'm going to re-edit that. We are on Twitter at I Saw It In A Movie. We are also able to be reached via email at dear I saw it in a movie at gmail.com, or you can send us postal mail to P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA 19145, Attention Movie John. And Ryan, where can people find you at? Uh, sure, you can find my writing in the pages of Movie John as well as on cinema76.com. Uh, you can also follow me on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd at Silber, whatever, that's with a B. And you can find my other podcast, uh, The Shame Files. Uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast or search in your podcatcher of choice. And you can find me on Instagram at the dot old sport or Twitter at bonjour old sport. Also, you can check out my other podcast, Cinematic Crypt, 
in which I go six feet under to uncover films of Hollywood's past. And you can find that also on moviejohn.com or you can download wherever you find other pods. So before we go, Ryan, do you have a piece of advice for our listener? I do. And this is uh, from one of the songs on Pet Sounds, which is discussed in the movie. So it's not a piece of dialogue, but it's uh, lyrics from the song. Um, So it's, I know so many people who think they can do it alone. They isolate their heads and stay in their safety zones. Now, what can you tell them? And what can you say that won't make them defensive? I know there's an answer. I know now, but I have to find it by myself. And I think that that is... You know, again, going back to the themes of the movie, like I think there's so much in those lyrics that expresses the idea that like one, you shouldn't do it alone, but also you have you have to find what works for you in terms of, you know, your own sort of mental health and staying motivated and, you know, keeping yourself on that path. But you it's like you can't do it alone, but you also have to be responsible for yourself in that way. Okay. And I can give you a piece of advice from Eddie Edwards. Mine is not as serious as yours. Sorry. (laughs) No, no, it's okay. I feel like you tend to have a heavy piece of advice and then mine's just like silly. Um, Or I guess I shouldn't say silly, but it's just light. Uh, But this comes from Eddie Edwards, and he said, Do you realize that smoking cigarettes is a lot more dangerous than jumping the 90 meters? And he said that to Hugh Jackman's character, because Hugh Jackman, like, smokes a ton of cigarettes. In this movie, there's actually a scene where he goes down a ski jump smoking. That's incredible. So Your advice is very serious. What'd you in say? Case, it's just, I said, your advice in this case is very serious. It's just said in a way that is much more charming. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because smoking's bad. I mean, I don't think I'm going to go ski jumping. Actually, I have never been skiing. I And I have no desire to. But smoking is also bad. Yeah, smoking is definitely bad. I'm unlikely to do either, but I right. would... I'm I do think that my odds per ski jump are a little bit worse than my odds per cigarette, but I get where he's going. <laughs> yeah, I it's funny because I know the first time that I went to Sundance. Do you like how I say that? Sundance. I do. So the first time I went, people asked me if I was going to go skiing at work. You know, cuz they don't realize that I'm just like there for the movies and I'm like absolutely not and after being there I can say I will never try skiing because I just don't like being cold and I just know that if I went like I would be the person that the first time I go I would break my leg (laughs) so it's not happening but yeah smoking's gross too but you can but you can not only ski but you can fly with Eddie the Eagle (laughs) you can You really can. So thank you for listening. And until next time, remember, for every question, there's a movie with the answer. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.